Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for being with us today. We've got a really interesting story to tell today. And it's got, it's got such amazing results and such great information that we can all use. I've got Carolyn Lamont. And Carolyn is across the sea right now. She moved to London in 1996, just after turning 20, to finish her business management degree. Originally from France, and in 2021, after 25 years in London, she finally became British. That's a big step. It is. It is. Particularly after that traditional upbringing in France with parents and younger brother and sister. And uh, you had a big family, I understand, with a lot of cousins and a lot of holidays and summertime spent together. And usually food's a really big part of those holidays and particularly the French culture. I understand you learned to cook when you were like you were eight years old when you baked your first cake. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right. That's amazing. <laughs> so you you went to school and, and after graduating, you went to work in advertising where you worked for 20 years. Yeah. But you had, you know, we all have challenging events that happen in our life. And you certainly had some major life changing events. Would you share that with our listeners? Kind of share your story. Sure, I'm very happy to. Um, so, um, hi, Lee and, and everybody, thank you so much for having me today. Um, so, my story is, um, so in 2012, I, well, very late 2011, actually, I started having some symptoms which went going away. And I spoke to my doctor and she said, oh, we're going to test you for rheumatoid arthritis. I think that's, um, you know, there's maybe something going on there. Um, and, you know, got the test done, et cetera. And, you know, that was that. But then a, a few weeks after doing all, all the tests, um, I started having some really funny symptoms. And um, I was on a business trip and I came back uh, to my family home that night. And I was like, I feel really weird. Like I had loads of tingling in my legs and I had a glass of wine with my husband and my mother-in-law, I think, um, was there or a friend came for dinner. And I had a glass of wine and it didn't taste right, etc. And it was really weird. Um, And that went on for about five days. I progressively uh, became weaker and weaker. Um, to the point where by the Wednesday, I couldn't actually walk. Um, I was bedridden, couldn't walk. And we, at that point on the Monday, I was actually told on the phone by my doctor that I had rheumatoid arthritis. And that's how I got given this life-changing diagnosis, which was definitely not the best uh, way of hearing those news. Um, But I I then visited uh, the emergency room, A&E in the UK, because I couldn't walk um, and I was you know, really worried. And the doctor said, no, no, it's it's probably a really bad flare of arthritis. And we're like, okay, fine. Um, and so that kind of went on for a couple of days until I couldn't walk. Um, and on that day, on the Wednesday, um, we finally decided to call the paramedics because 
I couldn't get out of bed and my husband couldn't carry me, etc. Um, and the paramedics uh, took me to hospital. And from then on, it was, um, well, I was always quite calm because, because they were quite calm. But I basically got given a diagnosis a few hours later of Guillain-Barre syndrome, um, which is an acute autoimmune uh, disease, um, acute in the sense that once you've recovered, um, you actually recover from it, unlike rheumatoid arthritis, which is a lifelong um, disease. And so I got given that that diagnosis, and it's a pretty serious diagnosis because what happens with Guillain-Barre syndrome is your nerves get damaged to the point where you are paralyzed, and I was paralyzed from the waist down. Um, but as the disease progresses, your all your nerves and all your muscles can be impacted. And the, the biggest risk is that you can't breathe. Um, so it then becomes, you know, that becomes a very serious uh, medical emergency. So at that point, I became, um, they obviously, um, uh, what do you call it? I can't remember. They, they got me to stay in hospital. And um and I had to test every three hours. They were testing my breathing to make sure that my breathing was okay. Um, thankfully, I never had to be um, intubated, which is the risk with that uh, with that disease. Is if it progresses, you can be intubated um, until until you recover. Um, that never happened to me, which probably sped up my recovery because I was lucky enough to come out of hospital six weeks later. Um, it did feel like a lifetime at that point. Um, I had a little boy who was just under 18 months old. Um, so it did feel like a really, really long time to be in hospital for six weeks. But obviously now it's been 12 years um, since I was there and since my diagnosis with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, so six weeks feels like quite a short time, obviously. But what a, what a, you know, you go on a business trip, you come home, you sit down with your family, friends, have a glass of wine. And, you know, it's interesting that you could you could tell something wasn't right. Yeah. 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 And actually, what's interesting is that I had had a cold maybe three or four weeks, three weeks before that. Um and I, I, I didn't recover very well from it. And with Guillain-Barre syndrome, um, there is often a trigger, uh, which can often be a virus, or it can also be um, uh, the flu vaccine is, is also can be a trigger. Um, and they actually tested me for a few things. I hadn't had the flu vaccine because I wasn't eligible anyway in the UK, um, because I wasn't considered an at-risk person. Um, but um, but they tested me for the the couple two or three viruses, and actually I tested positive for one of them. So they're pretty they're pretty certain that it was and and that that virus that they tested me is a pretty benign cold, um, essentially. Um, so nothing really dramatic, but it was on the back of a really stressful year, um, and we had literally moved houses a month prior to me falling ill. So it was an extremely stressful period um, with little sleep, you know, a young child, uh, business trips, you know, a busy job, etc. So um, I'm pretty sure stress was also very much involved in the dynamics of what happened. 
So when you came out of the hospital, were you clear? Did they put you on medication? I I had um, so. Interestingly, there's very little that you can do for Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, they put me on immunoglobulin, which is essentially they give you other people's um, immune system in the form of immu immunoglobulins, um, which and the idea is that it kind of resets your immune system. So I had that done um, at the very start uh, at, of my hospital stay. And then I was on paracetamol, uh, which I think you call... I can't remember what you call that in America, um, but it's just a painkiller, um, very mild painkiller and uh, gabapentin for the nerve pain, because although I didn't have a lot of pain, I had extremely, extremely itchy kind of nerve. You know, I, I, I was tingling all the time, which is pretty unpleasant when it's 24-7. So I was on those two medications and and that was it really. So um, with the Guillain-Barre syndrome, it's just a matter of uh, just waiting for the nerves to recover. And, um, and, then, and then you need to rebuild your muscles because you lose a lot of muscle because you don't use your, your, you know, your body, your muscles. Um, so I came out walking, but I had to use a cane, you know, a walking stick um, to help me. And I had to do some physiotherapy uh, to, to rebuild. And, you know, thankfully, that I, I actually recovered quite quickly. Um, to, to the surprise of my doctors, um, and so quickly, in fact, that I actually got um, pregnant a few months later, which was, you know, a, a blessing. And um, and then we had a young, you know, a baby daughter a few months later. So so from that perspective, I recovered really well. Um, but what then happened was I flared with a rheumatoid arthritis, um, and that has been essentially my battle for the past 12 years um, is the rheumatoid arthritis has been pretty, um, pretty hard to deal with. So it sounds like that, boy, you've, you've pulled through amazing, mm -hmm. but how do you, how did you come out of the, the arthritis? Was it just a medication or did you, you know, sometimes we have to be our own advocate for yeah. our health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've kind of used different things. So obviously the first, the first therapies that you are offered by uh, the doctors in the UK, and I'm pretty sure that will be similar in America, is medication. So um, we tried, um, we tried the medication because I had said I wanted. I was quite young at the time. I was, I was 35. Um, I had told my doctors I, I wanted to have another child. There were quite a few medications that we couldn't, um, I couldn't be put on. So we started with some of the milder medication and nothing really happened. Um, it didn't really help that much. But at the time, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really aggressive. Um, and then because I got pregnant, I actually, during my pregnancy, I actually did better um, and that is a very common dynamic of autoimmunity. Um, there are a lot of women who, when they get pregnant, actually imp their symptoms improve because the immune system is dampened down during pregnancy so that you don't reject the baby. 
And so that is a pretty well-known uh, dynamic of autoimmunity. So I actually did quite well during the pregnancy, um, uh, which meant that, you know, I didn't have to be on medication and, um, and that was fine. Um, after the baby was born, um, I started going through ups and downs, had to go back on medication. Um, I wanted to breastfeed. So again, there was only so many medications that were safe. Um, and eventually, once my daughter was weaned, um, I went on metotrexate, which is one of the biggest drug for rheumatoid arthritis. And again, it didn't really do anything for me. I didn't actually get any benefits from that drug. Um, so the protocols at that point is that if if you've tried the kind of traditional medication, you then um, you then start trying with different biologics, which are a different type of medication. And all these medications are immunosuppressants. Um, so they suppress your immune system. Um, and so, yeah, I just started going, going through the list um, and they put you on one and we see if it works. If it doesn't work, we try something else. And so that was kind of, you know, uh, my routine for a few years um, and nothing really worked until one medication started working but it only worked for like four or five months and then I started having debilitating symptoms from it so I had to stop it and at that point I said there's got to be another way um, there has to be another way because I can't you know, I, I don't want to continue taking these medications and being, you know, a guinea pigs for my doctors. Like, you know, that didn't seem logical to me. Um, I had already, sorry, were you going to ask a question? Oh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so at that point, I, I started thinking there's got to be another way. And I had already started making a few changes to my diet. So I was already uh, gluten-free and dairy-free. And that was actually making a huge difference to, um, to my pain and, and to my symptoms. Um, so I kind of already had the, the thought that nutrition was something that I needed to try and dig a little bit deeper into. Um, but whilst I was gluten-free and dairy-free, I would, you know, I would kind of go, oh, well, I have a little bit of cake because it's my birthday or it's my child's birthday or it's, you know, I've gone to a wedding. So, you know, I was kind of constantly in that dynamic of, um, of I'll kind of, you know, be good and then I'll not be good and, you know, all this type of thing. Anyway, I went to see a nutritionist who specializes in uh, autoimmunity. And once I didn't really get on with him um, as, a, as, a, as a therapist, I, he put me on the right path. Um, and I read The Walls Protocol, um, which is a book written by a, an American doctor who has MS um, and who has uh, recovered essentially from MS um, thanks to nutrition and, and other, you know, interventions, lifestyle interventions. And so that was that was the start of my journey. And I was completely overwhelmed having read the book. I, I was really overwhelmed by the type of changes that she was talking about in her book. But nonetheless, one weekend I was 
Uh, I was alone with my son. My my husband was traveling for work. And I thought, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give it a try and I'm going to eat the foods that she recommends in her book. And I did that for, for three or four days. And my pain levels went from an eight or a nine out of 10 to a three. And wow. It, I know. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. And so that was it. I was like, okay, I believe I, you know, I've seen it. I've felt it. It's amazing. Um, it was absolutely amazing. And that was essentially what started my journey uh, to when then I became a health coach, et cetera, et cetera, which we can talk about further. But uh, so that was in 2016. Um, so at that point, I'd been ill for four years. And, and how old were your little boy and your little girl at this point in time? So 2016, my little boy was, he was just short of turning six when I started changing my diet. And then my little girl at that point was three years old. So she was a tiny little thing. So when you changed your diet, did that yeah. mean that you changed the family's diet? Yes, I did. Um, and... Everybody was quite impressed because my children were suddenly eating all sorts of veggies. Um, I mean, we were already eating a very varied diet. You know, my culture and 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 my love of food meant that you know our diet was already really quite healthy. But um, the type of changes I made uh, meant that there was a lot less gluten in in the family's diet. So, you know, less pasta. I mean, you know, they still eat pasta and pizza and, you know, other things. But um, but that would be a lot more occasional because it would meant I had to cook two meals, whereas um, I tended to cook just one meal for the family. And um, and, yeah, they would eat the same as as me and my husband. Um, and it kind of went well. Uh, they were quite happy. I mean, at one point I stopped eating potatoes because potatoes can be inflammatory. Um, I have since found out they're not inflammatory for me. So I'm, I'm now everybody is eating potatoes again in the family. But at the time we were not. And so I was replacing potatoes with, um, you know, other root vegetables. And I kept calling them uh, mummy's special potatoes. Um, and my children didn't really, you know, they didn't really think much of it. They just ate it. Um, you know, with their roast chicken or, or their roast beef or whatever. So, Well, it's amazing. You know, they were so young that they hadn't gotten those terrible habits ingrained. Yeah. And that 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 becomes ingrained in our mind as much as it does in our body. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, friends and family are, are pretty amazed at, you know, the fact that my children, you know, they'll eat any vegetable, really. I mean, they, don't get me wrong, they still complain, right? Um, uh, if I serve fennel with fish, which I do often because I love it, um, you know, they'd rather have potatoes, quite honestly. Um, but they will eat it because they know that's what's for dinner. Um, and they have their, you know, their grilled fish and their roasted fennel um, and they'll eat it. So, yeah, it's become, you know, it's become a lifestyle for us. Well, but, you know, food, nutrition is so important for inflammation in our body. Yes. And just because they haven't experienced any as children doesn't mean that they won't as adults. 
No, absolutely. And actually, my son is going through, I mean, he's he's a teenager now um, and he's been experimenting. You know, he's he's out and about in the world, going to school by himself. And, um, you know, and there has been um, some changes to his diet, not by my design, obviously, more by his um, you know, him making certain decisions. And I, and I try to empower him and, and we talk about it and he's very well aware of the changes he's making. But I can, know, you know, I am noticing that um, it is having an impact on him. Um, you know, he has been putting on a little bit of weight. He has been a bit cranky, which I'm pretty sure is the sugar that he's consuming um, outside of the home. So, there, you know, there are definitely some you know, some things that you need to navigate with teenagers and, and young adults because you don't control their meals in the way that you can when they're, when they're much younger. True. Very, very true. How about your husband? Did you get any resistance from him? Um, no, he was quite happy, actually. Um, I mean, you know, and this is something which is really interesting as well because this is often the feedback I get from my clients, when I work with them on changing their diets, is often um, because the food is actually really delicious, uh, the feedback from families and, and from my husband at the time was um, was really positive. Um, I think the thing he missed the most was when we didn't eat potatoes was potatoes. <laughs> Um, but other than that, no, he's been, you know, he's embraced the changes. Um, and quite frankly, I was the one cooking, so he didn't really have much to say. Um, you know, maybe this is the French in me that I was like, well, I'm cooking. So if you're not happy, then, you know, maybe you can contribute to the cooking. Um, but I'm joking. He he actually, uh, he was very supportive. And, and most importantly, he could see the impact it was having on my life and my health. So, um, so yeah, so that was very good. So, I mean, that's very motivating when you see someone in your family kind of come back to life yes, and regain their strength and, and their motivation. So when you got so much better, did you decide that you wanted to share this knowledge with others? Yeah. I mean, you learned it the hard way. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened. I, um, I decided that I, you know, what I find astonishing is that this is not something that is offered by doctors as a potential therapy. Um, and it's not to say that it has to be the only therapy. And, you know, as we get a little bit deeper into this conversation, um, you know, it didn't end there for me. Things got a little bit more complicated. But, but, um, but yeah, for me, it was like, this should be offered alongside other things as an option, you know, and this should be this should be talked about. And I found it absolutely incredible that um, this this wasn't offered as a you know a therapy to to work alongside other things. Um, so I I retrained as a health coach. Um, start, I started in 2016, uh, qualified as a health coach a, a year later, and then as you do when you start a new professional career, um, you you just want to keep on learning. And that's what I did. Um, I then became an AIP coach, which is autoimmune protocol, which was the diet that I started with. 
and then um, and eventually I started studying at the School of Functional Medicine, um, which has given me so many more tools to use um, with my clients. So nutrition is one tool that you use. Yeah. Tell us about some of the others. Well, some of the others. So um, the one of the biggest thing um, is sleep, as I'm sure you're aware, the importance of sleep um, in, you know, for health. Um, so I do a lot of coaching around sleep. We are terrible as a society. Um, we don't sleep enough and uh, which has such a knock on effect on you know, our inflammation levels, um, our cognitive abilities, our mental health. Um, and so, so yeah, so I work a lot on sleep. So it's identifying with my clients, you know, what is holding them back in that space? Um, is it habits? Is it um, some form of insomnia, which can be you know, a symptom of many different things. It can be a symptom of food sensitivities. It can be a symptom of neurotransmitters, dysregulation, etc. So, you know, through detective work, we kind of work through that. So a lot of work on sleep. Um, obviously, we talk about exercise. I don't, you know, I'm not a personal trainer or, or a physiotherapist or anything like that, but we talk about how they can in, in integrate um, exercise and movement in their life, um, making sure that they, you know, they can move as much as possible. And then the other big thing is stress management, which is insidious in our society. I believe stress is one of my biggest triggers uh, personally. And I think I haven't worked with a single client where stress wasn't really high up. Um, and I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts. And obviously, I'm, you know, I know many of your guests talk about that. Um, this is just, you know, our lives are too crazy at the moment. Um, so I'm doing another training on that at the moment to help my client further with, uh, with stress uh, to make sure that they, you know, they can become more resilient to stress and also, if possible, eliminate sources of stress. Well, unfortunately, stress is not going away. Since no. in the last three years, we have all experienced stress at yes. a heightened level. Yeah. And it's not going away. And I think that we all worry for so long. We'll worry about, you know, if I get stressed out, oh, it's going to hurt my heart. Well, it can. But what about your brain? Yeah. The brain is an organ just like your heart. Absolutely. And to think about, you know, what can you do for your brain and sleep? That's your foundation. If you're yep. not getting to sleep all day long, those little neurons and dendrites, they wire and fire and they create they create toxic waste. And the only time those little glial cells can come out and clean that mess up is when you're asleep. Yep. Absolutely. And I, you know, personally, and I share that with my clients, I, if I don't get enough sleep, I will get, I will get the feeling that I am hangover, you know, that I have, you know, I have a headache, I've got, I'm slow, my brain, you know, and, and it's purely from lack of sleep, because I don't drink. So I don't drink alcohol. So, um, you know, I get that feeling. And that's purely from lack of sleep. And it can be also from going to bed too late, which is the most incredible thing. Well, and it's lifestyle choices. Yes. And yes, yes, it's very difficult to change those lifestyle choices. 
but absolutely with our diet, with our sleep, with our exercise routine, with all those choices we make, we have to be thinking about our brain health. Yeah. I mean, you know, the gut's the second brain. Yes. Yeah. So we've got yeah. a couple of minutes left. Yeah. And what would you like the takeaways to be for our listeners out there? I think one of the biggest things for me is trying to simplify things. We are making our lives so complicated all the time, which is a source of stress as well. Um, and we try to pack too much in the day, whether it's for us or our families, you know, um, driving our children to multiple classes after school and, you know, eating on the go because we haven't got time for family meals, etc. And I think we need to slow down. And we need to make things a lot more simple um, for ourselves and, and, and for our children. I think our ch children are so stressed because of what we are asking them to do um, in, in, with always the best intentions, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I think that has a massive impact on our, um, on our health. So making things really simple, keeping meals simple and, you know, cooking from raw foods, you know raw ingredients and and just enjoy that food and slow down i think that is great advice i really do and i think so many people think when it comes to cooking well you know i don't know that much about nutrition but you don't have to you don't have to have a degree in nutrition to be able to cook differently and be inspired from different cultures I, you know, you've come a long way from from the yeah. French. We all know how the French feel about their food. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So, well, Carolyn, thank you so much for being with me today. It really was enlightening to hear. I'm sorry that what you had to experience to get your attention and change your yeah. habits, but you've done such a fabulous job. And thank you so much for sharing that with our listeners. Thank you. You're very welcome. And thank you so much for having me. Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. This is 